Hey there, my name is Arthur Ettinger. Welcome to another episode of Close to the Vest. I am super psyched today. We have a very interesting guest and I am very grateful, Ron Stair. Ron, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. So Ron is a uh, is an expert actuary. He is the CEO of <clears throat> Creative Plan Design, and we are talking all things retirement uh, assets related to divorce. Um, Ron, thanks so much for coming. Um, I want to just before we get into uh, quadro and quadro being a four letter word, and I'm going to borrow that from. Uh, you mentioning that before we started filming, I'd love to just take a step back and talk about um, how you got into the business, uh, what made you become an actuary, um, and uh, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so basically, in college, when I was, I was, you know, you you're young, you're stupid, you have no idea what you're going to do. I hear you. Uh, and as a math major, I ended up being a math major, which, yeah, I've already told you the story. I don't want to do it again. Um, but the point of the matter is I still had no idea what I was going to do with, with a degree in math or physics. And we had a teacher there that made us take corresponding actuarial exams to each course that had a corresponding actuarial exam. Didn't have to pass it, but he wanted us exposed to places that we could actually use these courses. Oh, wow. So when I finished my bachelor's, I had four parts done. And for, for those people who don't know what an actuary is uh, out there, can you tell, can you just describe to the layman what that means? Yeah. So actuaries are primary. We're traditionally trained to manage risk. So for example, the majority of actuaries work for insurance companies and design insurance contracts. Right. And manage the reserves of the insurance companies. We, you know, deal with the interest rate movements, deal with mortality tables. Um, disability actuaries will deal with morbidity tables. What are your chances of getting hurt on a job, for example, for workers' comp claims? We'll have disability actuaries. Um Real uplifting kind of stuff. Oh, this is very exciting. Very exciting. You lock yourself in your room and you say, how many people are going to die? I think I'd rather only deal with people that are going to be slightly disabled this week instead. It's it's easier. Um, but then you also have actuaries that design health insurance. Sure. And what's the utilization going to be? About uh, 25 years ago in the EU, they started using actuaries to do financial modeling. And most of the hedge funds will have some actuaries on staff. Sure. Because uh, we have a very obtuse way of looking at numbers. When ERISA came out in 1974, they created the designation of an enrolled actuary because pension plans were very ad hoc. And as ERISA created all these rules that came in around retirement plans, they said, well, we need somebody to certify that the numbers are right in these retirement plans that we're now promising people and documenting for them. So the industry and the pension actuarial world came about in 1974. Got it. And, and so, and when we talk about retirement assets in the context of divorce, there is a phrase that um, we hear all the time. And to your point, quadro is a four letter word. And most matrimonial lawyers like myself do not want to touch the quadro. 
we just, we don't want to, I, I won't draft a quadro. I will hire someone like you to do that, whether it's the analysis or the drafting. Um, and it has created a, you know, a cottage industry amongst, you know, the matrimonial world. Um, and can you just go into, I'd love to, let's first, why don't we just talk about what is a quadro? Okay. So prior to, you know, so ERISA came out in 1974, creating the structure of retirement plans as we know them today. Right. But up until 1984, there was no no sense of division of that retirement asset being a marital asset. So if I was the primary breadwinner and I'm earning those dollars, that retirement plan was mine. Title. Right. It was just mine. So if we got divorced, my spouse wouldn't have would have no access to those dollars. Sure. So I could have millions of dollars in my retirement plan and twelve dollars in my checking account, and she would get half of my twelve dollars. So in the aggregate, it was a good set of rules recognizing the contribution of the non-income producing spouse in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And then they, over time, those pesky lawyers get in the way and say, well, we don't like the way you're doing these things and the rules are constantly changing. So how do you prorate the value? So for example, I could have had benefits in my plan prior to the marriage. Well, those benefits are segregate in our quadro calculation. Sure. So we would have to back those out, figure out the gains and losses on those separately from what benefits got accrued during the length of the marriage. And we put a dollar value on that. Mm -hmm. You know, actuaries are, are classically trained to put a dollar value on everything your mother said you can't put a price on. <laughs> you know, what's a human life worth? Well, an insurance company will tell you. Sure. Uh, so it's, that's just the structure of how we're trained to do stuff. And just for the audience listening in, and in case you don't know this, uh, you may already know it. You just don't realize it. You know, uh, if you have a job, you most likely have benefits that or many people have benefits that, uh, give you retirement benefits. And so when those retirement benefits and assets have to be valued and distributed, that's the quadro. And that's where uh, the Ron Stairs of the world come in. Correct. And um, can you tell us what you do um, when you get the call from you know, someone like myself saying, hey, listen, um, there's a, we have these uh, pensions and we have, now I'm coming up to another question because there's a lot of different retirement assets. It's not just a 401k or a 403b, there's pensions, there's certain annuities and other benefits that may accrue from uh, the employment. And your job is to value all of that, not just one, correct? Correct. And can you tell me what, not so much me, but more of the audience, because I'm more, I'm familiar with it, but somebody listening in who's about to embark on the divorce process and is, you know, overwhelmed as it is, and now we're adding another layer of overwhelming information. Can you elaborate on what the process is? Yeah. Um 
So the, the the first thing is is you know you and I have touched on the fact that money is this this is emotional bucket of money, right? And this money that's in these retirement plans tends to be the largest lump of cash almost anybody has. And I've got clients that are literally they're billionaires, right? But all the cash they have is what's in their retirement plans. They own bricks and record deals and real estate and yachts, but sure. all their money is in a retirement plan someplace. And there's more than $30 trillion in the private retirement sector. And it's about 95% of all the cash that's in society because those retirement plans take that money and invest it out and they buy stocks and bonds and mutual funds and drive the economy. Sure. So it's incredibly overregulated. We've got four government agencies at the federal level. You've got the different states that are involved. And everybody wants to make sure in this particular space that the divorced upon spouse is treated equitably. Got it. Uh, sure. And, and so I come to you um, and I say, okay, we have these retirement assets and we need to divide them. What, what then happens? Well, we, we gather all the typical information, the names of the people, how long were they married, the dates of their marriage, because a lot of times that length of time is important in the overlap of the retirement plan itself. We need copies of the retirement plan documents because what the law tells us we can do doesn't mean that the plan document will allow it. Yeah, this is so key. And this is such a mistake in, uh, in such... I can't tell you how many times a, a case has come to me and it's uh, post judgment and it's been completely overlooked uh, on the quadro aspect, um, whether they co forgot it completely or um, a lawyer has not done their homework by uh, getting the information or checked in with you uh, and the plan administrator as to whether or not the language in the document is even sufficient. Yeah, one of the things we do suggest to people is get your quadro pre-approved. It's like getting a pre-approval for a mortgage before you go shopping for a house. Get your quadro pre-approved so you know what you're dealing with. Yeah, and, and I don't even, I don't think it can actually, the, it's my experience. I can't submit the quadro, the qualified domestic relations order to the court until I have the approval letter from the plan administrator. What I do is I actually take it a step further. And before we sign the settlement agreement, I want to show it to someone like yourself. I want to show the relevant provisions in the settlement agreement to make sure it's kosher. Because we may be sitting there and negotiating and it's all for nothing. Well, and what we see often is the quadro's done after everything. Right. And it, you know, it's some nebulous set of language that's sitting there in the separation agreement and you're reading the step and it's like, one, it's not even a complete sentence. Right. Two, the math doesn't work. You know, we're, we're, we're going to give, give her $10,000. Well, he's only got seven in the plan. Where's this coming from? Right. Um, those kinds of things. So that homework really should be done to your point, much up front. And yeah, quite frankly, most of them we look at are done after the fact. Yeah. And the part that's that's 
makes it more cumbersome at that point is once you're divorced, the divorced spouse no longer has any legal standing in this whole mess because your retirement plan document is going to address spouses. Mm-hmm. But once you're not a spouse, you're, you're nobody. Right. And where that becomes really crucial is when you're looking at large retirement plans, with, you know, certain governmental plans, for example. A lot of governmental plans are going to say your form of benefit that you're going to get is this monthly pension. But if you die before you get there, you get nothing. So you want to lock in that spouse as an alternate payee so that person has standing inside that retirement plan because at least once a year we have somebody die in the middle of the divorce process. Sure. And nothing's done. And the money doesn't get paid out to the spouse. So so this is really an interesting fact pattern. So the, so now let's six months into the divorce and, but I would assume that, and I guess that's the key word assume because isn't there, there's typically the beneficiary form when you have to fill it out. And -hmm. if they're married, they, they have to sign a consent waiver, a spouse, a consent waiver, right? Unless the, unless they're, they were vested into that retirement asset before they married? No. So you're saying that? Depends on the type of plan. Oh, okay. So pension plans, that's absolutely true. Whether it's an old money purchase plan or any type of a defined benefit plan, that's true. But profit sharing plans, that's not true. So I don't need spousal consent in order to take my lump sum. Some plan documents will put it in there purely because we don't want to be in the middle of these kinds of arguments. And what, and what about beneficiary? Well, it's a named beneficiary. It's a separate beneficiary form. And if you're married, are you able to deem a beneficiary? Putting aside the issue of a prenup and being able to, you know, waive, that's a whole other issue. Um, well, all the law really says is I have to give my spouse half of the amount of money I'm entitled to. Right. And then, so what happens in the event, to your example, in the event that person dies? Well, it depends on the plan and the rest of the plan language and the type of plan that it is. So, so we I, have had one with three girlfriends showed up. I love it. You have to elaborate on that. Well, they were all named beneficiaries, one third each, and the wife was excluded. So, so but, let me just. But understand. the quadro did not get done until after the date of divorce, and the guy died, and the wife is technically out of the out of the equation. I can't remember what the legal term is for you to go back and undo stuff retroactively, but right, non pro tonk. That's it. Yeah. So I love it when you speak Latin to me. <laughs> So let me understand this. So I think in this example you're talking about, since there was a quadro, they were already divorced, but then there must have been another. So there was a quadro for one retirement asset and then another retirement asset. um, The quadro never got served before the guy died. Time means everything. So sometimes 
you want to have the, the, the plan administrator. So she did not get her share under the quadro because it wasn't signed. Um, and listen, I think you can make the argument, depending on if the judgment of divorce was signed, then signing the quadro was merely a ministerial act. But that's besides the point. Um, and so now- And lawyers the, will keep doing that stuff until the client either wins or the client runs out of money. That's fair. And so now the wife shows up and the, all the different girlfriends with their hands out. And what happened? Well, that's still being litigated. That's a that's really wild. The takeaway here so far, if anybody is listening, is um, if there's a quadro, you got to get it done. And uh, you can't drag your feet. And you have to look at certain states because some states do have an absolute limit. Like Massachusetts, I think it's eight years. Sure. Now, before we get into more horror stories, because I really like that topic, it's that's how people learn from mistakes, especially when it's other people's mistakes. Yes. Um, I like other people's mistakes best, not mine. Um, so are there certain circumstances where you don't need a quadro? Well, te you know, theoretically, when you start looking at stuff like IRAs, uh, those are not qualified plans. So whether it's a simple or a SEP or a traditional IRA, they really don't subject the quadros because right. there's no one, there's no plan administrator to serve the papers to. So you can, you can divide an IRA. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, but that's, but that's done inside the stip right. and you'll have a draw. Sure. But it's not a qualified draw because it's not a qualified plan. So, so what Ron is saying is there's, there's a quadro qualified domestic relations order. And then there's, a DRO, a domestic relations order. And Correct. The Q is just, is really the question. And it's, uh, it's, it's a lot easier well, without I like the, the Q. I, I like the Q because I get paid for the Qs. That's fair. I get it. You, you mind your Qs. I do. Yeah. So let's go back to more of these really interesting stories. Maybe they're not horror stories. Um, uh, to kind of touch upon, you know, do's and don'ts and what people can learn from you as the expert uh, actuary. Um, can you share some other stories? Yeah, I mean, for example, you know, one, um, we, every so often somebody will come to us, we'll pick Cablevision, for example. Okay. Cablevision's plan is administered by Fidelity. You don't need us for that. You can literally go to their website by way of their HR department, put in your data, your, your key data points, the data, data marriage and all those other mm -hmm. component things, and they will spit out the quadro for you. Well, they'll spit out the DRO because it won't be a quadro until you take it back to the judge. But they've already now pre-qualified this for you right up front. It's there. So if I, that's really interesting. I had no idea about this. So if, if I know it's, is it fidelity or is it because it's cable vision? Well, it's, a, it's a combination of both. Fidelity is the record keeper of the assets for that particular plan. And they are the plan third-party administrator for that plan. This is an online service. So if I know fidelity is the plan administrator, I don't have to spend time saying, all right, we're going to argue about who's drafting the quadro and then who's going to... Uh, how it's going to get paid and it's all, it all can be done with the 
press of a button. The employee goes in through the portal that HR will give them, answer the questions, and all your numbers spit out, and your specimen form is all there, and you have something that's in an editable format if there's something that you want to change in it. But it complies with their plan. I so you've taken away all of that back and forth. Got Well, so the back and forth, and when you say back and forth, you mean uh, reaching out to the plan administrator, hey, is this form acceptable? But it still may be important, certainly to talk, not only talk to the lawyer, but someone like yourself, because there, I, I'm a, I'm assuming it's all fact specific. Each case is different. You may be agreeing that it's 50% uh, out of the plan. It may be 25%. It may be a set dollar amount. Correct. And that's where, you know, that's where it gets fuzzy and there's a lot of hair on the situation. But again, in that space, you can fill in what the agreement is. Okay. Let's talk about that for a sec. Cause you and I actually have had a case about this and you know, sometimes people will agree on a dollar amount. Okay. And sometimes people agree on a percentage. Can you share the obvious reason why the dollar amount, maybe somebody needs to think about it before they just agree to it? I actually had an example on that. Because <laughs> this was one of our real cases that we were looking at where the guy had a $500 a month benefit from his little pension plan that he was in. They agreed that she was going to get $250 of it. Well, he decided to take early retirement. Mm -hmm. So his $500 was now only worth $300, but she still got $250 because it was a hard dollar in, in the plan. So she got more money than him every month now. And, and that, that's and that flat dollar, invariably you're going to have winners and losers based on what the market does. So uh, what I don't understand is why wouldn't he, in that example, have said to his maybe he didn't have a lawyer, I don't know, but why wouldn't he have said, "Hey, listen, I'm taking, I'm already collecting out of this, so this number is not um, half. This is actually much more." Well, because he wasn't collecting yet, and he hadn't decided that he was going to take early retirement. This was just no consulting from the lawyer. Okay. So then I'm playing devil's advocate on that scenario. Why is that unfair to him? Because he decided it's like the same example when in the scenario, when people take loans out of their 401k, um, I don't want my client to have to um, bear the loan. She should be getting the value the one half share or he should be getting the one half share before the loan. Depends on what they use the loan for. That, that, I mean, I can make that argument as well. That's fair. Let, let's, let's assume that it's a post commencement loan from the, uh, from the retirement vehicle. Did I fix that family house so we could sell the house? Okay. Or did I take it and buy myself a car? Yeah. So I guess following out that in that example you made with the man who, get you know agreed to give her 250 if he took the money out early retirement and started giving her money beforehand um then i would say yeah then she's been unjustly enriched Correct. but either way it's these are issues that 
people need to be cognizant of? So the real problem in many cases, the, mo- the majority of our clients tend to be wealthier. Right. When you start dealing with this, with the lower income individual, and they're talking about a $500 a month or $1,000 a month pension. Sure. What happens then is the cost of getting to the end line is a disproportionate amount of money. That's fair. Because my time is almost exactly the same of unvaluing a pension with $100,000 as a pension with $10 million in it. Sure. All the paperwork is the same. Your time is actually more involved than mine because now you're more of a rabbi and people are whining to you more right. because they can less afford it. Is there a way we can shift that to you? Not really. Okay. <laughs> no, and, and, but, it's, but it's an unfortunate you're occurrence right. because the people who are most dependent upon this are the ones that can least afford to do it properly. That's fair. So they end up going to the big box places that we've discussed. Mm-hmm who are going to just crank these things out and make mistakes. And they make mistakes because they're doing a horrific volume. The mistakes are compounded because in that space, the attorney is not paying nearly as much attention to it because nobody is paying you. Right. And you're listening to the mind for, you know, three hours for every half hour of useful time. And that's where the stuff really starts to fall apart. Right. So in your analogy, had he agreed to 50%, it would have been more equitable. He would have gotten, he would have been able to take what he took uh, on early retirement. And then he would only, he would give her 50% of what's there at the time. Mm -hmm. But invariably what happens is when these things are not done properly, the moneyed spouse just wants to be done at that point. Right. You know, you're taking my lungs here. I want to be done. And we have a big law firm that we're going through. And one of the equity partners bounced the quadro because of a typo. Because the apostrophe in the partner's retirement plan was in the plural instead of in the plural possessive space. He says, oh, there's a typo. This is no good and sent the whole thing back and started over just because he could. Because ultimately, the acceptance of the quadro rests with the plan administrator. So when my company created plan designs with our little 401k plan, I'm the plan administrator. Sure. So if I really wanted to give my ex-wife a hard time, I could have just played this quadro game for years. Yeah. And you see that a lot. And I... Well, it is because it's back to emotional. There's a lot of anger. And, you know, when I first got here, he and I were talking about this. I said, people will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to save 10000 because they're angry and they can. Sure. Sometimes, listen, I, I think that is so true. And so I could bring in any guest, any expert, you know, whether it's custody related, financially related, And it's the same. But I think there is an added layer doing what you do. There are certain financial institutions that are planning and and plan administrators that are just notoriously difficult. It takes eons to get, you can't get, you'll never get anybody on the phone. You, uh, they, 
Well, where are you not getting people on the phone? No, I'm talking about at a like like Vanguard is notoriously difficult. Well, and you it call takes- the one eight hundred go away number, and you get some level three snuffy who is reading their cue cards. And you, we, and we've had this, and it's, and I, and so that delays the process. Um, on top of what is already a delayed process. Um, and I think, listen, this is. This is six to eight months. In okay. A, in a good process, it's six to eight months. Okay. And, and if there is a typo and the judge has signed off on it, and or we just don't like the form, we're going back to a Supreme Court judge saying, I'm sorry, your, your work is crappy and you got to redo it. Well, you're right. So you just. Here's a letter. It was rejected for the following reasons. And please uh, sign this one. It was incorrect with a cover letter. Um, But that invariably adds at least a month. Right. And we still come back to the differentials of emotions because the moneyed spouse now knows he or she's going to have to write another check. The non-moneyed spouse thinks everybody's playing games with them. And they really want the money. Right. And I'm sure you've seen it where it's, it's being used as leverage against child support and everything else. And the moneyed spouse is trying to starve the non-moneyed spouse out. Sometimes. And this is the lump of cash that sometimes people need to make that bridge until everything else starts to function. Sure. Um, so let's go back to some other stories uh, that are good lessons for individuals. Uh, don't let your financial advisor try to draft your quadro. Just don't. Yeah. They're going to go to one of the $299 online shops. Is that right? Does, do people actually do that? Yeah, the stupid ones do. That's wild. Because they want, a lot of people don't know how to bring value into the relationships with their clients. So the way they do it is make everybody else look cheaper. Yeah, well, cheap is expensive. It's the, it's, it's, it's the high cost of low price. I didn't, I've never come across that. And that's and if that's going on. It's it just means a lot more work for you and I down the road. Well, so in this particular case, the financial advisor went and says, "I'll help you." Stairs firm wants three to four thousand dollars. I had to bring in a valuation guy doing all the other stuff. I can do this for like three four hundred bucks. They did the form incorrectly. Wow. The judge signed off on it because the attorney was the idiot brother-in-law who did real estate and dabbled in divorces. Sure. And you see those people. And when we get all done, it the transaction that should have been a tax-free transfer ended up being completely taxable to both parties. So it cost them about one hundred and ten grand out of $250,000. That's crazy. Um, but they saved a couple of grand up front. (laughs) Um, I think one of the things that people, I think your overarching theme is, um, make sure someone knows what they're doing is doing this and make sure there's a clear directive to you, uh, uh, and in turn the plan, there has to be a, a clear date, clear a value, whether it's a dollar amount or percentage, do you, do you, um, 
do you recommend one? I know you gave the example, but putting that aside, do you recommend or it all depends? It really does depend. You know, each case is, is really very unique. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think the problem that I see the most is the attorneys are not versed. Mm-hmm. And the quadro tends to generally be an afterthought. So my biggest recommendation, if there's no other takeaway, is when you first doing your separation paperwork, talk about what happens if somebody dies in the middle of this process. Sure. Because then you can put the plan administrator on notice. Yep. And that notice will do a variety of things. So, for example, if you're telling my employer that, you know, Christine's coming after me because we're she's filing for divorce, that puts me on notice that maybe I shouldn't be doing stupid things with the pension money. Sure. So this is great. So as soon as there's a divorce filing, let the employer know. Yeah. And then ask the client sponsor. I can tell you that our documents that we prepare, our pension documents, have a quadro procedure manual that comes with it. So we do a pension plan for you, even a little 401k. There is a quadro procedure that we print out and we give to you. So if one of your employees is getting divorced, you can turn around and say, here's what the quadro procedure looks like. Sure. So that just minimizes everybody else's time coming through this, including yours, because you're ultimately going to have to sit there and read this thing and review it. Yeah, but uh, how, <laughs> how many people are saying, oh, here's my manual in the event of uh, a divorce. Let me uh, give it to my spouse. No, yeah. no. But when your spouse, when your employee comes to you right, or you get a notice that this is going on, sure. now you have something to send to them saying, if you're going to send us a draw, here's the format and the information we want. Here are the rules of our plan. Yeah, that's great. It's, the question is how are you getting that, uh, that information? Because our plan may not have an in-service distribution for any reason. Mm-hmm. Most plans, distributable events are death, disability, separation from service, or attainment of or- normal or early retirement age, but not in the event of a divorce. So one of the questions I ask people when we're drafting documents, do you want me to add that if there is a divorce and a quadro is served, that becomes a distributable event? And most people, when they understand, I don't want your ex-wife as an alternate payee in my plan. Right. One, it's another body for audit purposes. Two, it's another body for administration. And I have to make sure that that individual gets all the notices and everything else as if they work there. I don't want them there. Yeah. And it's not my money. It's your money. Sure. I want out, Mm -hmm. but it's not written in most plans. It's in most of our plans. That's interesting. The big box places, it's not in most of their plans. Right. Because they're all about accumulating assets. Mm -hmm. They don't want all this money going out. (laughs) Sure. But now you're going to track that spouse till the 65 or 66 years old or until the employee has a distributable event and treat them just like they're an employee and track them all over the United States, wherever they may move or Europe. I mean, we've got, we're doing some of this stuff right now in three different countries. That's fascinating. 
Um, any other, any other tips or don'ts uh, or do's? We have found that attorneys f- forgot to file the quadro with the court after they were done. Yeah. And then people died. That's messy. I know there's been case law where people don't do it at all. And uh, there are, you know, um, certain disciplinary proceedings brought against lawyers who just fail to do that. You know, it's always nice to know what your spouse does to make money. Are you saying there are cases that you, you know of where they just have no idea? They have no clue. He goes to work. He does something with, you know, in my case, yeah, he does something with pensions. I don't know. You know, what does he do? Where's the money come from? I was talking to a guy this morning about his retirement plan. He's becoming a client. His accountant referred him. The accountant's an excellent accountant. By the time I got done with the conversation, I knew about four businesses that he owned that the accountant didn't know about. That's fantastic. All right. Well, that means you have, that's an entree for you to have, you know, four uh, retirements set up. Now it's going to be one retirement plan with two companies we're throwing out and covering two, but still you need to know about this. You can't, you can't do your planning in a vacuum. Sure. Because the other thing is, is how do you track those assets? Right. Because if she doesn't know that he's got four companies and she thinks he's only got one, you know, she's going to get short treated on the, on a divorce when you're starting to divide assets if he's not forthcoming. So I get it. And so when, before we were talking about marital, you mentioned marital assets, uh, separate property. Um, if you're retained, it's also your job to value a separate property component of that retirement asset, correct? Correct. And so it's important for people to know because people move jobs, uh, you know, retirement assets are rolled over. They, uh, there are all these intricacies that come into play in when there's a divorce and if they were working, that's 15 years before the marriage, they've got a sizable retirement asset um, beforehand um, that they're entitled to that credit. What do you do if it's, you know, is there is there an issue with respect to a vintage marriage and um, are the uh, documents as readily available? Not always. And what do you do if they don't have the documents? Well, I don't almost, I don't don't care about the old documents per se if they predated the marriage. I care about the account balances. Okay. Yeah. But if people don't have pension documents, that's another whole issue that the IRS would look at. Sure. Because you're supposed to maintain all of your documents from the history of your plan. So we have clients where I have files going back to 1973. Wow. And how do, how do you get paid? Uh, can you just explain to the audience how it works? I send out very large bills and hopefully they pay them. Perfect. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I think it's important for people to know they're well, just, a, I, you know, my point is uh, just like lawyers, you know, you, 
you, you charge a fee for your services. Yeah, sometimes it's one spouse pays. Sometimes they share it. Yeah, generally speaking, um, you know, the average, not that there's an average, but the average is going to be somewhere around $1,500 to $2,500. We're more expensive on paper than the big box places. But, you know, the commonality of excellence in any profession is time. I like that. And time is in talking to people. What do you what do you have and what are you trying to do and can you be reasonable and are you two going to talk to each other sure am I trading off assets in a retirement plan for other assets I've had people say I'm going to pay you I'm, I'm doing one right now for for a law firm where the guy says yeah I don't have to give her I have to give her X percentage of what we have coming out of our partnership. If I put money into my retirement plan today, my K-1 is going to be smaller. Yes, it is. He says, I still want to give her the, the percentage she was supposed to get on a net basis. So, okay, they have a, they've divorced well. They have an honorable relationship with one another. I have a call tomorrow with the accountant to figure out how we're going to do that. And, you know, but that's going to take another hour of my time. Sure. I get it. And a lot of people I'm sure are wondering, um, how is all this tax impacted? Um, and so can you just speak to, um, speak to that issue? Because, you know, equitable distribution, when somebody receives an, uh, a lump sum distributive share, it's tax free. They don't pay taxes, but there's, if they were to, we've been talking uh, a while now about dividing these retirement assets. It's not like they can physically touch it. They're not getting the cash. Okay. Well, again, it depends on how it runs and it depends on the state. Okay. But if they get it, uh, if they want it in their mitts and they want it in their hands. So the advantage of, the non-moneyed spouse getting cash from the retirement plan is the process is you step into my place as a as another participant in that plan. Right. So let's just say that I have a half a million dollars in the plan and we whack this up 50-50. So your share is now going to be a quarter of a million dollars in our plan. And if the plan's drafted uh, with the most versatility, you're going to be able to take that quarter of a million dollars out as, as any other employee because the plan is going to allow for an in-service distribution as a result of the quadro. Right. You can take that money and spend it and pay ordinary income tax, but you don't have the 10% premature distribution penalty because it was a settlement from, from the estate, mm -hmm. uh, from the, the marital estate. You can roll it to your own IRA. Right. Well, you could just leave it in the plan if you choose to, because you're a participant in that plan. Right. And that, that was my distinction is it's yours. It's in your name now, but you're not paying, you won't pay taxes unless you utilized it before Correct. Uh, your retirement age. Correct. But you do avoid the, the premature distribution penalties. Now, IRAs are actually trickier than qualified plans. And why do you say that? Because the rules are stupid. 
Okay. They're just stupid. So if, if I don't have, if I just say here, if you, you take the IRA and just change your name on it, it's taxable. But if I have my custodian or trustee of my IRA, because some IRAs are trustee and most, sure. most are custodialized, contact your IRA provider. So you're going to go out and open up an IRA with no money in it and establish it. And my custodial person is going to send money to your custodial person and they do that behind the scenes. We have no tax problems. That's wild. But if you touch it in the middle and you have this constructive receipt because you're signing paperwork in between, you're you're taking it and moving it, it's taxable. And now it's too bad. That's really interesting. And again, now you're talking to not a trained TPA. You're talking to, you know, Snuffy at the mutual fund company. Right. You know, you got that whole corporate hierarchy of grunts, gnomes, snuffies, and smurfs. <laughs> I like it. Um, I wonder where I said, am I, am I snuffy or a smurf? I'm, well, you're actually one of the, you're one of the grunts. You're at the top it. of the food chain. Perfect. <laughs> um, well, this is really I th- the the big takeaway here is if there are retirement assets, you may you have to make sure you're looking at the details. You're going over this with your lawyer, and more importantly, uh, in advance of signing anything, you're talking to someone like yourself. Um, I th- I think the biggest thing is is to make sure this gets done earlier in this in the game than later. Sure, because and again. You, from your experience, once you get through the divorce part, you as a divorce attorney are very transactional. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have repeat clients unless, you know, it was Larry King. Right. Um, you're right. You know, so you're, you're transactional and you're on to the next client. And what you don't need is somebody coming back to you eight months later or a year later saying, I haven't gotten my money yet. You have nobody to pay you now. Nobody wants to talk to you. And now you have to spend even more time on this emotional silliness. And it's real emotional silliness at this point and try to get the other attorney involved. Yeah. Or there's poor drafting and I wasn't the drafter. And now I'm looking at someone else's document to try and figure out and make heads or tails and interpret what somebody's uh, intention was and, you're all, you're bound by the four corners of the document and which means you're you Ron Stair are bound by the four corners of the document which will look like oftentimes that it's in hieroglyphics well we do it that way so we look important <laughs> <laughs> so i just want to pivot a little bit um and this is a relationship podcast and i know that you have uh You've been divorced and now you're remarried. Um, and I know you're happily married. Um, can you just speak to, you know. Yes, Christine is the wing, the wind beneath my wings. Awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's my unicorn. <laughs> so um, 
Can you just speak to, for, per, for people out there who may be going through it or, you know, feel like, oh, I don't want to go through it because I'm going to be lonely and I'm not going to find happiness again. Can you just say, like, you know, uh, what do you think are the, uh, the key, you know, what's the sage wisdom uh, to making the relationship work? What the the new relationship? Yeah, well, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, the, you, I don't think the, well the old relationship. The well, old, surprisingly, I divorced well. Oh, uh, great! I love it. And my ex-wife was my CFO, and she continued to be my CFO for seven and a half years after our divorce. That is amazing. I love that. So, so why did you fire her? She died. Oh, oh my God! I'm so sorry. <laughs> I would have kept her, but I she am died. So sorry. <laughs> But um, I love that story. But for me, sticking my sneaker in my mouth, I am. That's like really amazing. But it was. But we, you know, we were reasonable about the whole thing. We just um, we didn't go to war. We just didn't go to war. We looked at each other and says, "I don't know any attorney." I said this to her. I said, "I don't know any attorney that I want to buy a Porsche for." <laughs> So I would much rather figure out how we're going to do this. I th that's really, and in a lot of different, you know, continuing to work together in many respects, you were still married. In many respects, yes. And she did a better job as the CFO afterwards because now she had a vested interest. I love this. Because in addition to what she would have gotten in maintenance, she got more, a little more money plus benefits, you know, employee benefits, right. not, not benefits, benefits. Um, <laughs> and yeah. And then she got along, you know, with, with my Christine. That's really, and was that at all awkward anyway, going to the office and being, and really, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, once you get to a certain point and you resolve it and say, this is my life. And we made decisions and there was reasons for those decisions. I got it. It takes real big people and mature people um, to do that. And I commend um, all of you, you, your current wife and your ex-wife. But, you know, I, I sort of learned my parents got divorced when I was about 30. And they kept it together personally. It wasn't what they went and hung out and everything, but sure. family functions, they would show up with their new spouses. They got along. And even, even as adults, children, it just made it so much easier for everybody else. Yeah, what great role models for your kids. It's unbelievable. I mean, I still thought my father's choice of his new wife was poor, but, you know, regardless. I get it. Um, but, you know, it just made it more comfortable. You didn't have to say... Oh, geez, we're doing this event and, you know, it's somebody's birthday or somebody's graduation and I can't invite dad right. because he's going to bring Alice yeah. and Alice doesn't get along with my mother. It's like we had none of that. I, that's, that's amazing. I so those are, that was very cool. Yeah, so cool. And I, and I want it to be like that, you know, because you have family, you know, you're together for, you know, decades and you sure. got kids and you got family and grandkids and all the stuff that goes with it. And it's kudos you know, to you. And what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to fight over, you know, really what's an insignificant amount of money in the aggregate. You're right. And get bitter over it. 
It's amazing. So that was my, that was my divorce thing. And when we got married and Christine says, do you want a prenup? And my attorneys were pushing for it and her attorneys were pushing for it. And I said, why? And it's stupid maybe, but if I'm going to marry you, I can't go into this marriage thinking it's going to fail. But see, and that's my my personal limitation. I respect that. I listen. I can sit and we could have a whole new podcast on this issue, and I could tell you many reasons why I disagree. But it, I, I respect your views on that, and I think there is, uh, it's certainly beautiful. And listen, well, plus, how much did I have left after the divorce anyway? I mean, what am I going to do? That's really it's awesome. So that's especially yeah. doing what you do and dealing with people. And your point, you know, uh, people just get so emotionally driven. You know, hate, hate takes a lot of energy. Amen. And, you know, at one point, allegedly you were in love with this person. You made children with this person. You, you shared your life. Yeah. You shared your life. Why would you want it to denigrate into something that was just horrible? Sure. Some, some people are crazy. You can't fix that. Right. But for the most part, it's, uh, okay, you know, your life, for whatever reason, you decided to divide your lives. Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, I commend you. It's great. And, I, you know, I have a case right now, and it's, and the, and the wife, I represent the wife, and her CFO, it's the same fact pattern. Her CFO is her husband, and, you know, and, you know, that's, it's a thorn, but they're staying on in that capacity. And there's, you know, it, it's really remarkable. So I really commend you. Uh, most fact patterns aren't like that. Very fortunate. You know, I, I, I can't tell you that you're supposed to do that. It just, right. it worked for us. Sure. Kudos to you. Um, so listen, I really, I really... Uh, appreciate you coming on and doing this with me. Um, it's hands down. If anybody has retirement benefits and they're going through the divorce process, they need to speak to you. How can they reach you? Well, they're going to call you and you're going to send them my V card. I definitely can do that. <laughs> <laughs> or, or they could just call my office. Perfect. What's the phone number? 516 742 Six one two three. Awesome. And we actually have real humans answering the phone. Awesome. Ask for Rochelle. Um, and so I end all my podcasts with one question. Okay, um, it's not a trick question. Okay, I didn't uh, study for this, so no studying needed. Um, I'm a somewhat of a big sneaker guy. I like sneakers. Um, I'm a big kid when it comes to that. So my question to you is, what's your favorite sneaker? No, I don't have sneakers. So there you go. <laughs> um, let's see. Last time I bought sneakers, I bought Pumas because they the arch support. Okay, sounds good. We'll get you some sneakers. Now, my son, on the other hand, yeah, has a, an array of sneakers. I love it. Very cool. Fascinating. It's it's, it's an interesting marketplace. Awesome. Maybe we'll have him come on the podcast. You should, because he could talk about sneakers all day long. Perfect. All right. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming. Oh, look at patent leather sneakers. These yeah, are like these the are uh, these are actually very fancy 
sneakers. These are like parochial school girl I sneakers. Actually, these are called Jordan Concords. I actually, the story behind these, I actually bought these for my older son's bar mitzvah. Um, and they're his sneakers, but he's... Um, too cool for them. No, they're very cool for him, but he's too big for them. Ah, so there was a really cool window when we were actually the same size, but uh, in any event, I digress. So he just grew, so you wouldn't be stealing his. Yeah, he, he, pretty much. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Awesome.